to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Today is April the 13th, and it is currently 4.56. Yes, we are early on the show today. My name is Christine Kim. And I am Ashley Park. We are your show hosts for this afternoon, and we are broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia, Vancouver campus from unceded Musqueam Territory. Today, Mm -hmm. our show consists of several reviews of different shows attended by your very own Arts Report team these past couple weeks. We are going to uh, do a review of a play called The Out Vigil and then move to a review of the Improvised Music Meeting, a review of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet Show, the UBC Mm -hmm. 100 Film Festival, and much more. So please do stay tuned for this jam-packed hour. Before we get started with all of the reviews, I do want to highlight two special upcoming events right here on the UBC campus. What is it? The first is the performance of the 2016 Grammy-winning album from 412 Love by jazz prodigy Cecile McLaurin-Salvant on May 1st, 7 p.m. at the Chan Shen Concert Hall. Salvant will be performing a collection of songs, mostly written by herself, um, and Joyce Hinton, the co-managing director of the Chan Center, says, quote, just over a year ago, Cecile performed on our stage for the first time to a completely captivated crowd. The stunning concert left a lasting impression, and I knew we had to welcome her back soon. To witness this one-of-a-kind artist who continues to astound audiences and critics worldwide and her extraordinary ability is an occasion not to be missed. So... For everyone listening, tickets are $36, and to encourage each and every single one of you to call into the Chan Center box office at 604-822-2697 to book your tickets, I will be playing Cecile's I Don't Know, I Didn't Know What Time It Was um, live at the Dizzy's. So I hope you enjoy this Uh, performance by Cecile and I hope that you will be able to go see her uh, definitely uh, definitely uh, extraordinary performance yeah and the chance enters a very glorious beautiful venue as well get to have a really nice time listening to some fantabulous music here we go you are listening to the arts report on CITR 101.9 FM Touch. Say I'm all your own. I 
how that experience will be too especially on a much more of a larger scale i think at the chance center is a little more uh bigger than that but yes 
I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Sounds like a wonderful night. It really does. Yes. So again, tickets are $36 and we... Ashley and I both encourage you to call in to the Chan Center box office for Cecile McLaurin Salvant's performance um, of her Grammy winning album for One to Love. Uh, the Chan Center's box office number is 604 822 2697. Now, after a short break, we are going to be having artist Lawrence Paul Uway Poulton. And he will be here to talk about the new art exhibition at the Museum of Anthropology called Unceded Territories. Now, Unceded Territories will be on display from May 10th to October the 16th. This exhibition features works that confront, quote, the colonialist suppression of First Nations peoples and the ongoing struggle for Indigenous rights to lands, resources, and sovereignty, end quote. So... During this exhibition, you would be able to see brand new work uh, by Lawrence Paul Uwe Poulton. And this entire exhibition was co-curated by Karen Dufek, the MOA curator, and Tanya Willard, the Art, the uh, an artist and independent curator. Um, and Karen actually said, quote, this exhibition will undoubtedly fuel dialogue, indignation, and even spiritual awareness as it tackles land rights, environmental destruction, and changing ideas about what we can expect of indigenous art from the Northwest Coast. The issues you weigh Poulton addresses are impossible to ignore. We expect that local audiences will find a more personal connection to his work today than they may have two decades ago. So really strong statements by the uh, Museum of Anthropology co-curator Karen Dufek. Um, and so while and so after this show break, we're going to actually have the artist Lawrence on our show to talk more about the exhibition. Um, you are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I am Christine Kim. And I'm Ashley Park. That ship out there will be smashed to bits. Use your emergency equipment. It won't work. Nothing works. It's got to. It's no use. Everything seems to be stuck. My life's worth a try anyway. Come on, fellas. You can make it. Just listen to this. Spider-Man saves Freighter. You can't tell me the captain couldn't have brought his ship in without the help of that publicity-seeking show-off, Spider-Man. Don't get caught wasting power. Unplug cell phone, camera, and other battery chargers when charging is complete. Many electronic devices continue to use power even when you are not operating them. The amount of energy consumed by electronics in a year when they were not in use could power Whistler Blackcomb Resorts for 43 years. This Power Smart Play brought to you by BC Hydro Power Smart and CITR 101.9 FM. Silence is what you already have right now. But you need to let it in. Patrick Shen's film, In Pursuit of Silence, extrapolates along philosophical and spiritual lines to offer a quietly nuanced portrait of our relationship with silence. Meditative cinematography and a minimal piano score complements interviews with scholars, physicians, and inventors as they discuss how silence is an integral and necessary part of being fully human. In Pursuit of Silence screens at DOXA on May 7th and 11th. See doxafestival.ca doxafestival.ca for more details. And welcome back to the Art Support. Joining us is... Um, hello. Hello. So, we are joined right now by Lawrence... Uh, by Lawrence Paul Uwepulton, and he is Uwepulton. Did I say that right? Close. Thank you for correcting me. Um, would it be all right if I called you by your first name, Lawrence? Oh, Uwepulton is my real name. Lawrence is just my government name. 
Oh, all right, all right. I can definitely, uh, yes, try to say that uh, correctly. Hugh yep. Um Yeah, so uh, we wanted to know more about this new art exhibition at the Museum of Anthropology called Unceded Territories, which is on display from May 10th to October 16th, basically really all throughout the summer. Um, and it is your works, brand new works by um, yourself that's never been shown to the public until this exhibition. Um, tell me more about the kind of pieces that you've created for Unceded Territories. Well, the, the show is a collection of work, actually, from about 40 years of painting. So there's a mixture of <clears throat> new work and old work. Uh, there's a piece like an Indian act shooting the Indian act, mm -hmm. which is a performance piece, where I went over to London and shot the Indian act uh, at the Healy and the Brisley Rifle Range. Uh, so there was, that was more of a historic, like a book review of the Indian Act. Uh, I guess if we understand the Indian Act, Canada hides behind words. It should be titled, it has the wrong title, actually. It should be titled the, <clears throat> the White Supremacy Act of Canada, because that's what it is. Let's be honest. So I didn't like it that much, and I hated it, and I despised it, and it just bugged me, all the things that they did with it. So I, I figured, well, this is what I think of it. Uh, and uh, the power of uh, was what was enforced upon Native people, I used the same power, and I went and shot it with shotguns and rifles, so it was and put a whole bunch of holes in it. That's one of the pieces in there. That's very powerful. Bam Center years ago, I did a, a virtual reality piece, uh, which was one of the first virtual reality pieces that was shown at the National Gallery of Canada. Actually, was the first piece. So it uh, it's coming back into uh, British Columbia, and uh, the piece is uh, is going to be shown at, um, at the Anthropology Museum. So it, those are kind of uh, there's. Uh, Another piece that's uh, Reservation Dirty Laundry, which is uh, an installation, uh, it's, which is a combination of little boys' and girls' underwear laying on the floor in the shape of a cross, um, which is a reminder of all the children and boys and girls that were violated and molested by priests at the residential school. You know, there's uh, there's paintings titled uh, "Portrait of the Residential School Child." The history of this country is, uh, you know, truth and reconciliation. The truth is, is that they haven't given the definite number of how many thousands of kids died at residential school. Mm -hmm. So I did the point portrait of the, the male and the female. The difference between residential school and public school was that the residential school was graveyards. When they changed the law for me to go to public school, I went home and I talked to my dad and I said, where's, where's all the graveyards? How come there's no graveyards at public school? And he said, no, it's not like that. And I was kind of going, oh, really? That this doesn't happen to other people? Like... It only happens to residential school children. Mm. So I, I went to a funeral at the residential school, so I know that kids died there. And so so I'm, I'm a history painter, so these are some of the paintings that I've done over the years. There's a painting, Red Man Watching White Man Trying to Fix a Big Hole in the Sky, which is dealing with the ozone. A lot of time in history, replacing natives into place and reason, uh, we were not included in the Bill of Human Rights in this country. We were not even considered citizens of this country. It, how was this country made? Is Let's form a confederation, and then let's intern Indians on reservations. That's, And then we've been interned ever since. So our relationship to this country is very different. Mm -hmm. 
As you can see with the latest news of all the suicides that are happening in, in northern communities, um, the difficulty of maintaining colonial internment camps. So our relationship to this country is very much, how long are we going to stay colonial prisoners on our own land? You know, let's emancipate the Indian. So that's why this show is titled Unceded Territories. This whole province is about unceded territories. We we shouldn't have to surrender our land. This land is native land. Extinguishment policy to your queen, to the province, to the Canadian government, they're offering millions when this land is worth trillions. Mm -hmm. So I'd say no to land claims. And I say that to the government chiefs, you're selling us out. And they should stop land claims because they're they're asking for peanuts. The government is, is trying to settle for peanuts. And, and they shouldn't be doing that. They, 51% of Native people are under the age of 16. That's the majority. And they have no right to vote. Mm -hmm. So we have to look after them and their interests. So... I say at this time in history, no to land claims. And, you know, unceded territories is, is a direct result of the colonial situation that natives are in. Is that we join the Confederation of British, British Columbia joins the Confederation of Canada, and then it interns native people on reservations. Thank you, but no thanks. <laughs> I think we have to have another solution to the Indian problem. I, you know, I am, that's, my work is, is about the relationship that I've had over the years living in this country and the, the battles that we've had to, to fight for, for the human rights to, to be recognized as a human being in this country. So these are very difficult things to, the subject matters are, are not always, uh, pretty but uh, somebody has to deal with this stuff and mm -hmm. um, the modernists were prepared to deal with uh, the modern realities of of aboriginal people mm -hmm. and i uh, commend you for actually bringing it to the fore it is a very important topic and canada prides itself on you know multiculturalism and immigrants and all that but it does have a tendency to forget the past and how it was kind of, I guess, created. And I think looking at uh, some of the pictures that are available at the Museum of Anthropology, I have to, uh, I just have to say for listeners who can't see it, to definitely go take a look. I love the um, the bright colors you use. However, each image, there is such a political statement, such a story behind them. How long does it take for you to come up with these artworks? And what vision do you usually have in mind when you're painting? The visions I have come from the lived experience. Let's mm -hmm. look at Aboriginal Day in this country. Mm -hmm. We celebrate Christmas, Queen Victoria. We have different holidays, Easter, all of these holidays in this country. Mm -hmm. and, and we go out and celebrate them. Aboriginal Day is not a national holiday, and it should be a national holiday. Because when I go to an Aboriginal Day, 90 8% of the people there are native. Mm -hmm. The other percent is a police officer, and the other 1% are non-natives. So let's be clear about the segregation that we create as Canadians mm -hmm. and, and our relationship that we have towards each other. We do not meet. We do not. And I think that's the problem that we have. And that's, my work is, is, is to discuss these things, mm -hmm. is to look at the realities. We will never settle land claims in this province. So it's like saying, you cannot usurp a title to a province without paying for it. So I want British Columbia to change the name of British Columbia to traditional native territories or some other title. Because it is not theirs. It is our land. We are the protectors. I am brown peace. I am the protectors. 
All Native people are the protectors of, of these traditional lands. It is their inherent right, and they will never surrender these things. That's why I make artists, is because that's the feelings that we have, is that we've gone to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and people are starting to recognize that we are human beings. And th- this is a global problem around uh, North America, South America, Australia, New Zealand. We are all indigenous peoples dealing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing the same thing as any, as any other Native person. I've dedicated my catalog to, to all the indigenous peoples of the world. So it, these are our struggles. And, and I think that's we have to change the name of British Columbia. I think that, that uh, we have to look at at what it means for, for Native people to, to be in their homeland. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my motherland. I don't have the luxury of having a passport and, and going somewhere else after it's all said and done. After Polly, if, if, if Polly Lake is the answer to colonialism, it's a sad day for Environment Canada to say that they're doing their job. I have to protect this. Mm-hmm. When, when the oil spill out in the bay here, they were never ready for it. And they had a big contamination of, can we afford to have these big pipelines coming through British Columbia off the coast? Can we afford to have 400 tankers? Can anyone guarantee? Can we afford to have 500 years to 1,000 years of contamination of, of, of Second Beach, First Beach? Any of these beaches in Vancouver contaminated for the next 1,000 years to stand in a harbor that smells like oil because of one oil spill? One person is asking for a pipeline, and I say no, but the rest of us have to be held, have, held for ransom because they're saying it's their right to have a pipeline. Well, no, it's not their right. And I think these are some of the problems that Natives are running into, is that they're asking too much for, for nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just supposed to step aside and be a good little shut-the-fuck-up Indian. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm a human being, and I have rights. And I feel that, that these violations that, that want to be put in place are not in the interest of the, all of the collective, because your children have to swim on those beaches just as much as my children have a right to swim on those beaches. And they should not be put at risk to a biosphere. No monetary wealth can bring back a biosphere. Mm-hmm. I stood in mm-hmm. some of the biggest clear cuts. I've painted clear cuts. Mm-hmm. But I do love trees, and i painted beautiful trees. And, and I, my, my work is about symbolism of visions, of things mm-hmm. that, that I paint. Because I paint differently. I paint from vision of of time. Mm-hmm. I may look at a forest, but I've looked at forests for most of my life. So I'm not standing in front of a, of a tree and painting a tree. I'm coming back to a tree in my mind and, and honoring the tree and painting the mm-hmm. tree and making the tree symbolically without a, with a without a form line of, and creating a, a, a different type of painting creating style where people will come to see the style that I do is it's a very, it's how much love I have for the land. And I want people to understand that, that they're being born here. They have to love the land. Mm -hmm. You can't say that just, I'm just going to be patriotic to the flag and, and the queen. Mm -hmm. She has nothing to do with this here with our lives. It is more, this is, this oh, sorry is to, our life. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important that the messages are, are 
are, are very beautiful. Some of them are very beautiful paintings, and some of them are very difficult paintings. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's just the nature of of the life that that we've had to live. I've had to to go back in time and record history. I mean, who's history are we recording if i read if you read the history books it says british you know canada british columbia joins the confederation of canada mm-hmm. and it said no no we didn't there's always kind of and, like a voice being omitted in history definitely yeah i mean it's let's have a national monument for all the native children that died at residential school that were that died from the catholic church and and the provincial government there's blood on their hands. We have to come to terms. This we're still living within a. You know that that's that's a culture shock. That's a colonizational stress disorder syndrome. I, I'm I'm dealing with it. Mm-hmm. You know that these things. But you know let let's the the romantic things about colonialism are always going to be shown. But when it but when it's but when you start to look at, wow, we we killed that many people, that many children. Mm-hmm. And I and I noticed that's how, difficult. Yes, it, it definitely is. And I noticed through your artwork that the ones that are shown at the Museum of Anthropology, it definitely speaks to that, and it definitely brings awareness, which I believe a lot of people don't have because of, again, who is telling the story and of what people and therefore of. And uh, unfortunately, we, we do have to uh, we do have to kind of cut time a little bit. But thank you so much for being on our show and again opening your eyes to what is happening. It's still mm-hmm. it's not a problem that's been solved. It is definitely ongoing. Mm-hmm. And for people who are really interested in seeing this issue, especially in the stylized works that you create that are really from real moments in history, again um, your um, your your uh, curated show is at the Museum of Anthropology. It is starting on May 10th until October the 16th. And I believe you guys have an opening party on Tuesday, May 10th at 7 to yes. 9 p.m. Will you be there to yes. speak? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be there. We're going we're gonna to open up the show, and I want people to come out and enjoy it. I'm the, I've created paintings, uh, mm-hmm. Spirit Dancer, Dancing Around the Fire, and... It's an 18-foot by 11-foot painting. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things for people to enjoy. I mean, I'm, I'm not always. I mean, I, I get upset sometimes, but no, I no, can no, put definitely. Uh, please don't, po- yeah, please don't apologize for no. it. I think it's really, really great that you brought this forward because mm-hmm. it is time to be serious because it is such a serious issue. It is such a serious. There issue. is a lot of things in this country, you know. I, I think that that's important to. Uh, the missing Native women in this country that mm-hmm. took a long time. I have six daughters, and and I was you know, concerned about what what Harper said. And finally, we have an answer to to a government that is becoming more left wing towards the direction of Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a new direction and a new start. And you know that's. That's that's where we are. Is that we have to, you know, the relationship has to change with this in, in this country. And I think that some of these paintings give an insight for people to understand what Native people are are, are like, and 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 you know, it it, it just takes time for change. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to think of something new to a new way of of. To, to be and you know that this is a great province to do it in is, is that you know there's nothing wrong with changing the name of british columbia you know traditional native territories the province of tnt has a nice ring to it <laughs> i like it uh and you know but that's just the humor of but there there's i'm going to have a contest for native for everybody mm-hmm. that wants to participate to change the name of british columbia to something more representative of all First Nations people and mm-hmm. all uh, Canadians and, Nat- uh, and British Columbian uh, citizens, because we're not all British. Mm-hmm. You know, so they come from all different from all different parts of the world. So I think that that has to reflect 
what we are becoming, and we are outgrowing this colonial concept, mm-hmm. and we have to have a new, uh, a new way, of, a neo thinking, mm-hmm. new thinking for definitely, especially in Canada as a modern context, but that doesn't forget the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much again for being on our show and really sharing your honest opinions with us. Okay. 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 Bye. Okay, thank you so much. Goodbye. And again, for those who are interested, it is at the Museum of Anthropology, May 10th to August the 16th. I recommend going if you are very interested in especially the identity of Canada and Canadian history and how Canadian futures should be shaped through its idea of multiculturalism. Definitely go give it a, a, a look-see. So what's on the docket next, Christine? So after the break, we will come back at you with reviews lined up for today's show. We've got, obviously, our review of Memory Wax, a Vancouver International Dance International Dance Festival show. We've got reviews of a ballet that both Ashley and I went to go see oh, this beautiful, weekend. Beautiful. We've got a review of the UBC 100 Centennial by our very own Jake Clark. There's quite a bit of reviews coming up. Um, yeah, but no matter what you're doing right now, just uh, stay tuned after the break. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I am Christine Kim. I'm Ashley Park. Are you interested in Indigenous issues? Do you get ticked off with ongoing colonization? Do you have something to say? Or do you want to learn more? We have just the thing. Join UBC's first ever Indigenous Radio Collective at CITR Radio Unceded Musqueam Territories. Our show, Unceded Airwaves, airs every Monday from 11 to 12 and we meet from 12 to 1 to plan our upcoming shows. We're interested in content covering various things from film to literature, current day politics, history, whatever you want to talk about, we're into it. Everyone welcome Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Tune in Sundays from 9 till 10 p.m. for bootlegs and b-sides with your host, Doran, for the finest in soul, dubstep, ghetto funk, and electro. All right. I love that song, too. Anyways. Which song is that? I don't know. I like it, though. The, The whip song. Oh, wait. The other no, whip song the other now. Whip Anyways, welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm one of your hosts, Ashley Park. I am Christine Kim. And I'm Jake Clark. Howdy. So our first review comes from the arts reporter Christine Powell. She Woo-hoo. actually has the same first name as me, but this is Christine Powell, not Christine Kim. And she went to go see a performance at um, as a part of the Vancouver International Dance Festival. The Swedish dance company Memory Wax celebrated its 10th year anniversary in 2014 by making an extremely large co-production with Danza Teatro Retazos from Cuba. The description on VIDF states that, quote, in this action-packed 45-minute dance piece with eight world-class artists, Memory Wax and Danza Teatro Retazos explore the need to belong and be part of a community while juxtaposing the desire for freedom. With contemporary dance as a base, elements of pantomime, hip-hop, and folklore are all visited as contrasting characters emerge. Everyday scenes are enhanced in a constantly changing dream world where memories and desires are intertwined. Days, a performance about belonging and identity portrayed with humor and poetry, end quote. And is Tony Danza in it? Sorry? This is Danza in there. No, 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 no. That was a bad one. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, Christine Powell went to go see Memory Wax <laughs> on March the 11th, and this is what she reported back to us with. So this is her very own review. Um, She writes, The first part of the performance was Possible Impossible, an act that oscillated between silly, there were stretches where the dances were shirtless and had white afros and reality bending. Dancers made their bodies look like their heads were screwed on backwards. Wow. 
part two of the performance, Crisalida, was a more serious comment on modern Cuban identity. The dancers began in skin-toned underwear, slowly dancing as pairs, but the act turned into more of a cooperative dance featuring an overhead projection of the dancers who were lying on the ground. It was refreshing, surpassing, and incredibly and an incredibly novel expression of identity, and I was happy to have gone to see it. So that was our very own Christine Powell's review of Memory Wax. Now, for those of you who are interested in other performances featured at VIDF this past year during its 17th anniversary, please visit the official website vidf.ca. The Arts Report covers VIDF annually, and each year there are more and more and more new, exciting dance pieces that we really can't help but talk about and go review. And Memory Wax was really just one of the few that we wanted to highlight. Oh, so good. So moving on to our second review, I personally went to go see, uh, on March the 18th, a production by 20-something theater uh, which called The Out Vigil. Uh, this play, I'm going to give you guys a short synopsis of it. Um, I'm going to give you a short synopsis of the play. So mere hours before opening of before the opening of the perilous king crab fishing season, a young Newfoundlander arrives in Alaska desperate for a job. A modern fable steeped in maritime lore with live music throughout. The outvigil questions our ability to accept the natural world for all that it is, both beautiful and terrifying. I know that's set in Alaska, but that sounds like it could be one of the most Canadian things ever made. <laughs> no, not Canadian. <laughs> um, but yes, sort of. Yeah, like they say, he's a Newfoundlander, eh? and he ends up. Uh, and see, I remember this uh, story from um, it was a long while back, but it's about a guy from Newfoundland who moved to BC, and he. Uh, I, I don't know what the point it was. I just remember a guy from Newfoundland okay. to BC. <laughs> okay, but that particular accent, the Newfoundlander accent, was done so well by these actors, and that's one of the things I want to um, yeah. highlight. So that the synopsis that I just. Uh, is straight from the uh, website, the direct website of 20-something theater. Um, and the production was written, it's an original production by Julie McIsaac, and it opened March 17th, ran till March 26th. I'm quite sad that it's gone. I hope it comes back at some point because I really absolutely love the production. Everything from the set to the characters to the plot was entrancing and funny and meaningful. Um, so like like we said, um, it's actually set, it's it's set with this guy who goes to Alaska looking for a job at just the right time, the king crab fishing season. And the set switches from the boat, like slash dock, to this small town shop where the main character, Danny, played by Matthew McDonald Bain, grew up in. And the entire stage is lit with this eerie green hue that really set the tone for the entire production. There was the great set design and the audio cues of like waves and seagulls. So it really felt like you were out at sea along with Danny. And in terms of characters, I really want to highlight Lizzie, who is played by Stephanie Isaac. Stephanie Isaac is a Vancouver actress I've seen in a number of productions before, like Scratch. But in this particular one, she really pulled off that Newfoundlander accent. The Newfie accent. Really, really well. She wore it like... It was her native tongue. <laughs> and I really always admired her talent for acting, but I really think that uh, for the outvigil, she just took on the persona of Lizzie and the accent and the mannerism um, of a small town girl really, really well. Um, and if I didn't, if uh, I didn't mention this before, there was live music. There was um, a, a violinist on stage who accented and highlighted all of the crazy parts of the plot and for the plot specifically I felt like the plot was really quite heartfelt um, I liked how there was these continual flashbacks to the past um, but despite these flashbacks I never really got lost in the plot I just really appreciated how the flash flashbacks helped you dig a little bit deeper into why Danny left town mm -hmm. what exactly but happened between him and Lizzie so overall it was really really a great production um, now enough about of me really talking about um, reviews. Our first one was by Christine Powell and the Out Vigil um, 
was something that I went to go see. Um, something a little bit more recent that uh, both Ashley Park and I went to go see this past weekend was um, Going Home Star. Going Home Star. Yes. Um, so home Star. Home Star. This was we did a ticket giveaway for Going Home Star last week. Uh, Going Home Star is um, a Royal Winnipeg Ballet performance, um, which started this past weekend at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. It was in partnership with the Truth and Reconciliation Campaign dedicated to uncovering the stories of First Nations residential school survivors and Mm -hmm. the stories of their families. So it really seems like this week and next week, or this week and last week, we have this kind of persistent, um, persistent remembrance of what's going on with Uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Campaign, and what is still yet to be done. Mm -hmm. So uh, the original work of Going Home Star um, is a decade in the making, and it was an original work put together by Canada-based artists, including award-winning Canadian novelist Joseph Boyden, acclaimed choreographer Mark Godin, renowned Canadian composer Christos Hatzis, um, and the ballet also featured uh, the music of Enoch throat singer Tanya Tagic and Steve Wood and Northern Cree singers. The ballet really had such a strong storyline centered around Annie, the main character, who is a hairstylist in the city detached from her First Nations heritage. But she runs into this character whose name is Gordon, and he's a homeless man really struggling to bear the weight of what his former parents and parents' parents went through in residential schools. Annie, throughout the ballet performance, begins to see exactly what Gordon has been struggling to carry. She helps him carry the weight of those stories. Um, And it's really like a heartbreaking but absolutely beautiful depiction of residential schools and how it's not a solo effort of trying to deal with this, um, deal with this past. It's really a community um, effort of being able to kind of bear the weight of all these memories. Um, and I really, really appreciated almost everything about the performance, like the plot, the dance, um, the music, mm-hmm. the use of... Uh, Projections, the use of props. And, I mean, Ashley, I, like, really, really loved it, and I know you also did love it. What were some of the things that you particularly loved about going oh, home? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. One thing I have to um, touch upon this, and I think it's really great that um, this performance had so much kind of um, cross-cultural dance styles incorporated into its performance. Um, you, and I think you mentioned this at the, um, at the show we went to. They opened the show with a traditional, I believe you said it was a traveling song? Mm-hmm. A traveling song done by uh, the indigenous people of Canada. They were opening the drums and they were like drumming and everything. It was really great. And then they ended it in the same way as a book ending of this is definitely an indigenous story. This is definitely an indigenous experience that was unfortunately pushed upon them by the government during that long period of time that they are finally coming out to the fore on, which is really great. I enjoy the fact that they had, as I mentioned, cross-cultural dance sort of things happening. So they had ballet. Then they had movements that were very kind of like hip hoppy little like crunk thrown in there which I really was like yeah I'm, I'm feeling it I'm feeling it. they had like the music a lot of style shifts that were going going on so you'd have pieces that are very reminiscent of classic ballet I think I heard like uh, a tune from like Swan Lake for like a short period of time and then it switched to like a you hear the disc scratch and then it goes into like a different song I, I, I can't do it yeah a little like that and then little different songs happening, and it was really great. One thing I really liked, too, is the fact that they had this very um, almost surreal setting pieces that were brought in and out throughout the progression of the uh, story. They didn't have a lot of dialogue. It was very uh, minimal dialogue. Sometimes there was a spoken word segment in the voices of the actual people who um, who went through these experiences too, which was really great that these people were given a voice. And uh, I don't know, when I saw it all together in this kind of um, mise-en-scene, it really resonated that these people are not a are not like a historical figure. Like their stories keep on going on because that part in history hasn't fully healed. It's still an open wound. And the fact that they are able to speak about it now 
and talk about how they haven't really gotten to process their hurt because the media downplays it or we try they don't, they're not really talked about it, it's such a great idea for them to and it was such a great performance for them to really be able to be open about it and express it through art you say joseph boyden wrote this Yes, I think Christine said so, okay, right? The Arenda and Three Day Road, Joseph Boyden. Yeah, as in that, that, that sounds very much like something. He's very good at that. Mm-hmm. It was just it's, fantastic uh, in my mm-hmm. in my point of view. I, I did really appreciate the fact that it was um, a novelist that kind of helped create the plot. And like you said, Joseph Boyden himself, um, because it's not really like a traditional – It's not. It's not like a clean – no rawness. It, it's not like Sleeping Beauty or something like that. It's like there's, really. there's no happily ever. There's like you know scenes where um, the main character is doing drugs, and it's weird because it's still ballet though, and it's and you can still marry like beautiful movement with something so raw. And I think that oh, yeah. because there are scenes that were written into the whole plot uh, by this novelist who really wanted to emphasize like the story arc mm-hmm. um, rather than just the let's try and show off how like interp- that's interpretive dance the story of how they suffered kind of thing. Like right? how yeah like how let's let's not focus too too much on how like how much like just ballet let's in and of itself it. let's convey the notion of suffering i i really yeah you know what i think that he does that approach I've, I've read three day road it's a really good novel i highly recommend it the orenda i was mixed on because the orenda is a really both of them though are the three day road is probably one of the best war novels i've ever read i've read a lot of uh, books historical and uh, fictional on war and and it's one of the, it's it's easily one of the best I ever read. I read this when I was in Cadets, and it was recommended to me by somebody who was also in Cadets. And mm-hmm. they, they they said that there is a lot of respect for Boyden in that context, um, or and because it, it encapsulated the experience of what that does in in war. And I don't know about the cultural identity, but I think that it, it's part of it because he does both Three Day Road and the Arenda, and probably yes, I I don't know anything about his, the rest of his work, but they mm-hmm. both concern. Natives and uh, the Arenda actually concerns when the Jesuits uh, come, and the Arenda, like Three Day Road, is not an easy read. There are some moments that are profoundly depressing. It's it's a sad novel. It's a sad story because it's a real story. The Arenda is a brutal story for the same reason. It's a it's a gruesome story. It's it's like it, it, there are some moments in that book that are like lose your lunch gruesome. He's, he's a good good at describing. But maybe it. that's the reason why it yeah. transferred very well into mm-hmm. this ballet because there were horrific things happening in residential schools, and even the ballet touches and, upon it. Like these students were forced to eat like dog food at certain times, and they were they were beaten if they didn't uh, speak <sighs> properly, that kind of thing, and. It has that kind of like facts at you, but at the same time, it's performed through dance. So sometimes it can be hard to be palatable. Like you mentioned, it can be a little too much. They don't mask the – I I wasn't there, so I'm just asking. They don't seem to mask the action at all. They just present it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if people are worried, that would be hard if people are do. worried, like, oh, it might, was it, would it be a little too much? It has a lot of stylistic choices that sometimes hint at it or touch upon it and sometimes reference it blatantly. But – the overall movement of the dance piece is very tight, very well choreographed, that um, even the ballet movements that aren't related to the action or whichever seem to carry that mood. For instance, the main antagonist was a uh, was one of the, te- I think one of the teachers, head professors at the, the residential school. Yeah, like a Catholic, I think it's a Catholic priest. And oh, he dances in ballet. Like, there's no speaking of the characters. They all dance in, like, hmm. in a ballet and whatnot. But his movements, oh, my gosh, they're so strong. They had a lot of force to them. And the way his body movements kind of, like, worked with the music, it portrays a certain type of character, especially for everyone else, too. Mm-hmm. One of the cast, like, the guy's still a ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. Anyways, if people are interested, can they go still see the show? Unfortunately, no. But if it does go by again, it's very, very well recommended. Great work. And now we have another review by our very own Jake Clark. Can you tell us a little bit about what UBC 100 Film Festival was like? This is quite a bit more lighthearted because this is – there right. was one film because they, uh, they pick one alumni representation. There was short films at another screening, but those uh, were by the Alumni Association. 
And in this case, this is one, um, this is a very good film called Two for One, directed by Maureen Bradley. And it's a romantic comedy that, um, okay, so here's the plot. The plot is one of those stories which is a little hard to describe, but it's, it, it, it does make sense. There's a trans man uh, whose ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. gets his ex-girlfriend pregnant and he gets pregnant as well. Because mm-hmm. she attempts to get, insemin- to get inseminated and he helps out and... Uh, uh, basically, it, it, it's it, it, let's just it's. How did he get? And it's like okay, he's not not all the way male. Yeah, uh, I know, I know, I know. But then uh, I'm wondering, like, did it like? Oops, they spilled it on myself. Like, well, no, no. It's like that they they, they they take turns. Oh, and, they uh, take turns. Okay. The okay, similar okay. discussion happens with his mother, played by Gabrielle Rose, and um, both Gabrielle Rose and Gavin Crawford, the uh, the man who plays the trans man, have mm-hmm. won awards for their performances. Rightly so. Mm-hmm. This is a very funny movie. It's very well acted. Um, and the best thing about it was looking at this, it's, it's a movie about a transgender person, like a, a trans man in this case, yep. a female to male transsexual. And, uh, she, uh he, I'm going to, I'm going to say he because yeah, of I, course. Gender yeah. Identity is male. Um, he is, um, played as just kind of trying to get along and there are mm-hmm. difficulties with that. But in the end, he, he's an engineer and he tells his coworkers that he's pregnant and, the only emotion that is really conveyed is confusion okay. at first. The guy's like, is that, like, bisexual? And then the other guy's like, uh, no, nah, read a book. Yeah. Like, and then they, they're just, like, there's some kind of head scratchers there. And, yep. like, I, like, I personally, I come from a small town. I come from a small city in Ontario. Mm-hmm. It's a college town. I've still witnessed some pretty, not, not malice and malicious, just acts of ignorance about... Um, transgender issues, including from myself, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's not a, a very well understood issue. I still probably don't understand a lot, but this movie, for one thing, conveyed the the situation mm-hmm. as I'd understand it very clearly, and it did it without a shred of malice or defensiveness, which That's is yeah. very good because it's very easy in pop culture to make fun of transgender people. Little, um, oh, a little too much, yeah. Yeah, and that, that and partially, uh, I think that the whole Caitlyn Jenner thing was mentioned. But mm-hmm. the before this, the film got made apparently because uh, Miss uh, Bradley was talking to the uh, audience afterward, and uh, I asked her what uh, how it came to be, and she said that she thought of the idea in 2005 about mm-hmm. and. Now, I, I was I was around in 2005. I wasn't really thinking about gay rights, but I was around <laughs> You're at the around, time. Yeah. And like looking back, ten years, it's been leaps and bounds. It's like, been cha- it's, cha- it's mm-hmm. changed so much. Yeah, definitely, like, gay rights have really had the like they stepped on the pedal in the last they, decade, which yeah, is a good thing. There's still ways to go. There's but, still ways to go, like, especially with a lot of um, now. It's a lot of the laws targeting you know non non-binary people in terms uh, yeah, of yeah yeah, and that, that is that that is part of it. And there's still not complete equality. There's still a lot of areas mm-hmm. that are equality areas. that needs to be changed. But that's um, it's but, great that we had that in media though. But as there's you're more visibility. That's and right. she mentioned in a uh, little while later, she had the script sitting on a shelf for a while, mm-hmm. and she mentioned seeing Chaz Bono on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, Chaz. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then she's and then she said, thought you know, it's it's probably not taboo. You can probably get it funded. It's Vancouver, so yeah. And I'm glad she did because she made this movie and. This movie is, I honestly, one thing that I loved about the audience was that somebody in the audience said, you know what, I want to see this one on TV circulation after Will and Grace. Oh, that's great. Because it's, it's a good movie about that, and it is what Will and Grace was at the time, which was it, it Will and Grace, at, it seems quaint now. Yeah. It does, justifiably so. But at the time, nothing really like it. It was... Revolutionary. In that it, was a, it was a film about romance, friendship, how that interplays. It was a movie about people, admittedly in a time when it was a lot easier to make movies about people because Hal Ashby was still alive, but <laughs> like uh, the but that's still shown. And it's it's like, that's got the standard of being the one mm-hmm. chick flick that's, it's it's just, I, I'm doing air quotes. You can't uh-huh. say yeah. that <laughs> guys like because yeah. uh-huh. it's, it's, it's a good movie and it's a good movie about good characters. And I think this is the same because this movie is an original movie. I cannot think of a single movie out there that this is like that this concept is lifted from, which is interesting because it's really hard to find original concept right now. That's just kind of the postmodern malaise thing we live in. That's not a necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it, it does mean that when it does come along, this is very interesting, and it's just a very tasteful example of it. And there's like uh, there's some very good performances in it. As I mentioned, uh, Crawford. Who plays? He is he's man. He's a, he's a man, and he plays uh, the the trans man. He plays very well, mm-hmm. um, and he he's got a very he's got this interestingly the this very interesting stage presence in that there are times when he feels like there's 
always this notion that he's kind of nervous about things okay. because of because of that. And that, that is the feel of the movie at times. And that was interesting. Mm-hmm. That was interesting the way they, they played that out. There were some plots in the movie that didn't get followed up on that capitalized on that directly. Like there was a uh, – uh, what, what do you call him? Bailiff from the courthouse who's okay. a dick okay. looking around for uh, him under his name as a, as a, as a woman because – of student debt, which he has a lot of, okay, and can't find because he's they, they, that a lot of people don't jump to those conclusions. That mm-hmm. plot's kind of left dangling, but that is that does provide a really sinister element because the bailiff is also a very threatening uh, personage. He's he's like he's dressed in a leather jacket, black t-shirt, and he's yeah. he's just he's he's kind of a tool. But he's okay. Uh, but he's, he has that de- he has that demeanor. He has that kind of oh yeah yeah the tension. It, it's a well it's a plot. very well acted scene between the two of them. But all these scenes are very well acted. Mm-hmm. The, some of the most charming though is him and his uh, his mother, who's played by Gabrielle Rose. And Gabrielle Rose is a sort of a an institution in Vancouver film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've seen her in a few. I, I've only really seen Vancouver film in the last year, or so I've seen her in a few. Mm-hmm. And she's she's very good. And she's in this one. She plays kind of his hippie mother. Yeah. And she's very supportive of him. She's trying to the the bit. You know how I explained how the insemination occurred. Like she's yeah, just yeah. like we were sharing toys, toys like 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 like, like cars or like like the like the like action figures. No, 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 mom. Like, like and he, it, imagine having this conversation with your mother. It would be pretty awkward. <laughs> like it's, and that's she's, pretty funny. Yeah, and she's yeah, really yeah. all the characters are really lovable. Um, his ex-girlfriend is one of the more interesting characters because she's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And they broke up earlier because of um, polyamory and is, is the issue. Is that okay. they were, well, it, it's not really polyamory if – it's only polyamory if it's agreed upon by both parties. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of an issue, which is – that is kind of an issue that I, I've seen that issue firsthand at one point. It was not pleasant. Uh-huh. But, uh, uh, and so she is is involved with a lawyer, and the lawyer is very nice. She doesn't want kids, mm-hmm. so she wants to. She oh, by the way, she runs a home delivery service for liquor. Oh, okay. So a lot of quirky characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It, it is quirky, but it's not over the top with that. She's played by Naomi Sneakus. That's her name, Sneakus. Mm-hmm. I'm very sorry if if I mispronounce that at all. But um, <laughs> she she's a it's it's a very interesting character, or because she. Seems like also like there's this anxiety too on her part is that she thinks that she may never have a child and that is uh-huh. that is part of part of what she wants to do and it's really endearing and these characters are really like any there's no real antagonist because these characters are people yeah all these characters are relatable in, in some sense and that's very good that's a ve- that's a very good feat for an, any movie because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of don't a lot of movies use stock characters yeah a lot of movies mm-hmm. where it's like this guy per- mm-hmm. p- fulfills this. Yeah. yeah, this purpose, and then like, he's gone. Yeah, he, yeah. he fills, fills that slot very well. All right. Well, hey, like Channing Tatum can play him. Anyway, the, the, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the what was it? Oh, the, the musical score was also something else because it was this very, um, it fit. The movie, like mm-hmm. the style of the movie, if I could describe it best, is Joe Swanberg doing Chuck Lorre. And I like Chuck Lorre's shows, so okay. that's, 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 that's a compliment. That is okay. a compliment. Not a read. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, there's this really soft and really charming score to it that mm-hmm. you know it was it was just really very it, it gave this mellowness to it that did help like it it helped and it's like oh those are some good lines this is a cool story these are some good people and you know what? i want to feel that when i go into a movie mm-hmm. i'd highly recommend it two for one by maureen bradley Thanks so much, Jake, for that review. Always a pleasure. Yeah, that's great. We have one final review, again, by myself. <laughs> yeah. um, and I went on Saturday, March 26th, to the Vancouver Improvised Music Meeting uh, 2016. The Barking Sphinx presented two presented three consecutive nights of creative improvisation by composer Lina Alemano and pianist Robin Holcomb. The night I went to go see actually also featured Torsten Mueller and Dylan van der Scheif, if any of those names ring a bell um, <laughs> for you guys, <laughs> on the particular Saturday that I went to see the performance at the Western Front. I was feeling pretty nervous because I've never really gone to an improvised music performance and I didn't really know what to expect. And when I went in, the room was really set up like a regular music performance room. And sitting down at first, when the music started, I was actually very, very 
uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, wow, this music is quite unpleasant, and it just sounds like a cacophony of piano, cello, drums, and the trumpet. While they're trying to get into a groove, right? Yes, yeah. and you know what? The more that I relaxed my notion of kind of what I thought classical music or jazz or any other particular genre of music should sound like, I was actually better able to follow along with the beats. And to be to be honest, like after a couple glasses of wine, I really found myself enjoying such Wait, a you, chill so you, night. So of you had music. some wine and just listened to some yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. And right. I really liked the atmosphere because everybody in the room was just kinda lounging in their chairs with like a glass of wine and they were listening to music, just bobbing their heads. And I I was like, wow, I feel like my thoughts are really clearing up right now. And um, it was quite nice to see those four performers, um, Lena Alemano, Robin Holcomb, Torsten Mueller, and Dylan van der Scheif, all so focused on their music. Um, they, they had, like, furrowed eyebrows, and they were um, – they played really long segments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all improvised. improvised. Yeah, all improvised. So yeah. really props to them. It was quite an interesting experience. Um, and if any of our listeners would like to learn more about Vancouver Improvised Music Festival, um, music meeting, um, they do come back annually. So be sure to uh, follow up with them and check them out. Um, that is it for the Arts Report today. Woo! Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, for more information well. on anything we talked about on today's program, feel free to reach out to us at any point on our Facebook or Twitter accounts. Our Twitter handle is at CITR underscore Arts Report. You can find us on Facebook under the name The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. That's right. We were never really imaginative about naming these things. We, well, it's, it's easier for people to find us. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sharing Science is yes. here for a new episode. Woohoo! So please do stay tuned for a new episode of Sharing Science. Tune in again next week for another inter- for another edition of the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Christine Kim. This is Ashley Park. This is Jake Clark. Thank you. Cheers, folks.